Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast. A podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it, we keep it reels. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another Mama Bear Apologetics podcast. As you know, Hillary has just been recovering, so I've been taking over the podcasting for Mama Bear, and I'm really excited because I've been able to bring on some fun guests. We just had Elisa Childers come on. We're going to have Monique Dussin coming on later on this week, but today I'm very excited because we get to chat about a topic that is really interesting but can be a little difficult to relate to kiddos, and that is explaining miracles and understanding those. And so for our guest today, I have with us Matthew Middleberg, which Matthew, you got to share with everyone a little bit about you because not everybody knows who you are. Hey, thanks so much for, for having me here. Um, I'm really excited to be on the podcast and uh, I've been reading the uh, Mama Bear Apologetics book and uh, just in preparation for this and it's fantastic. And I was excited to hear that uh, I don't actually have to be a mother to be a Mama Bear apologist. <laughs> nope. And so uh, very exciting to hear that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. We love being able to, to bring everybody out because basically if you are involved with youth in any way or just around kids, if you're mentoring someone in some way, you're pretty much an honorary mama or papa bear. So we're definitely grateful for you to come on. So Matthew, why don't you share a little bit of your background before we get right. off on this interesting topic? Like what brought you to apologetics um, and sure. how did you get your start? Yeah, so um, I got interested in apologetics after going to Summit Ministries in high school. Uh, I went to one of their summer camps, which are fantastic for kids to learn more about worldview and apologetics. And I had done speech and debate in high school, and um, I, I realized that this was something that I really wanted to apply the skills that I had learned from that to apologetics and essentially get into the world of apologetics. I, I was aware of the world of apologetics because my, my father, Mark Middleberg, writes books and speaks on apologetics. And um, I've, I've just sort of grown up in that world. But for me, it was, it was sort of when I, when I got amongst my peers and we all sort of were asking these questions together that I realized like, wow, actually these, these questions of what's the evidence for faith and how should I think about these things? They're really meaningful to me and, and something that I want to continue to think about and, and um, pursue. So um, when I went to college, I started an apologetics club. And after college, I went to uh, get training further in Oxford in theology and apologetics. And uh, I've spent the past four years uh, doing full-time speaking in apologetics and evangelism uh, across the country. And it's been an amazing ride. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. If you're going to study apologetics, I mean, go to Oxford, right? Do it right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that is, that's awesome. Do you know by chance, just for the parents who are out there who have teens, Summit Ministries, are they continuing their camps now? Are they opened up? Uh, I know things have been shut down with COVID. Do you know if those are still going on? Yeah. 
they're still going on. Yep. They have different locations around the country actually for their, their camps this summer. And so I think the, the one that's going on right now, I believe is in Arizona. Uh, if I remember from social media, but there's, there's different camps around the country that they're, they're doing them at. And then I think they're still doing the online portion as well. So if you want your kids to be involved online, I think they have an online option as well. That's fantastic. Parents, if, if you've got kids out there, you should definitely look into it. It's an excellent ministry. They bring top-notch speakers in there. And it's just this great environment where your kids can interact with these deep ideas, ask questions, have great fellowship with kids their own age. If you can send them and you're comfortable sending them, please do it. But that online option, I'm going to include a link to that in uh, at, the, at this video or within the comments of this video. So that way you can go and get further information because it's definitely a great resource to get kids out there just among their own peers and being able to wrestle with this environment. It's, it's, it's a really cool environment to have your kids involved in. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That, that is so great Absolutely. that you're speaking in that. So our topic today is miracles. And, you know, there's kind of, it's integral to scripture, right? Our entire existence is based mm. around the idea mm. of this miraculous uh, creation. But within church, oftentimes yeah. I've heard pastors when they're speaking, this is just something that's sort of assumed, but not really explained within sort of congregations and def- and sermons on Sundays. Why do you think that is? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's when you've accepted God and you've accepted the the truth of Scripture, it's easy to believe in miracles because mm-hmm. that's that's what's a part of it. And if if you believe that God has created the universe out of nothing, that He's made you and me and He's designed everything, well, then a miracle is is child's play to Him. You know, it's not it's not hard for God to do a miracle in that instance because He's created all all of everything. But I think we need to as Christians we need to engage with the challenges that, that have been brought against miracles and, and sort of put ourselves in other people's shoes who maybe didn't grow up in a Christian home and haven't been exposed to Christianity and, and maybe have never seen anything miraculous themselves and, and sort of understand that for those people, it's really hard to believe in a miracle. It's really hard to, to understand that these things exist. And and I think sometimes there's a hesitancy to engage with that as well because of a misunderstanding of what faith is. Mm. I think sometimes Christians think that that faith is something that you need to take without looking into it, without looking right. for backup or evidence or, or anything like that. But scripture paints the opposite picture. I mean, Jesus pointed to, to the miracles that he was doing as the evidence that he was who he said he was. So scripture is full of appeals to evidence and appeals to miracles as pointing towards God. And I think we need to, to be open to investigating those as well. Yeah. And I love that point too, because that is a very common charge leveled at Christians is that we actually just aren't thinking well when we assume miracles. It is sort of this blind faith charge that, oh, you're just sort of accepting these things almost uh, almost from, I don't know, I hate to say brainwashing, but in a way it's like, no, you're just supposed to accept it and not question it. And that's not faith at all. We are told to reason well, to love God with our minds, to be able to uh, Mm -hmm. reason with false philosophy. In fact, actually the truth, one of the descriptions in the book of James is that truth is open to reason. So that's just a great characteristic that we get to have as Christians is that we aren't shutting down evidence from the forefront. No, we're open to listening to other viewpoints. And that's that's definitely a characteristic we need to have. So in a way that kind of shapes how our attitude should be toward miracle claims. Now, do you have any sort of 
tips and recommendations for those people who may not have grown up in the church. What should a good critical thinking attitude be toward the miracle claims of the gospel? Yeah, I think there's there's two extremes, right? There's the the extreme of gullibility where you just believe right. everything and you don't question anything and that's that's a bad extreme, right? Because mm. there are there are plenty of charlatans out there. There are plenty of fake miracles that that are performed and, and things like that that we need to be wary against. But then there's the opposite stream of uh, extreme of uh skepticism where no matter what the evidence is presented, you're not going to believe uh it's true. And actually GK Chesterton did a great job of of pointing this out um, back, way back in his book, I think it's Orthodoxy, he pointed out that the, the believers in miracles do so rightly or wrongly because of the evidence for them. But the mm. disbelievers in miracles, in, in other words, the skeptics, do so because they have a dogma against them. In other words, they, they've sort of set up this belief system to say, miracles are impossible, and I'm not going to even consider them. And mm. uh, you look at like Richard Dawkins, for example, he was asked, you know, what would it take for you to believe that God exists? And he, he said nothing. There's nothing mm. that could happen. Even a, a voice from heaven, even uh, the heavens opening up and, and God speaking to him personally, he, would, he said he would think he was hallucinating. Mm. That's a pretty closed-minded perspective. It's not being open to the evidence. It's not following it where it leads. So I think what we need to do is to, uh, to, to be cautious, but also open-minded and, and follow the evidence wherever it leads. Yeah. And I love that encouragement to be open-minded because so often, especially within culture, and you've probably seen this, open-minded has come to be believed to mean that you accept everything as truth, that mm. you have your truth, yes. I have my truth. And no, that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about open-minded. True open-mindedness is being willing to consider all forms uh, of evidence as potential evidence or not, and you sort of sift it through. So again, it's more of this good critical thinking that we are, that all people should have, whether you, regardless of your faith background, this is how we should approach the evidence. So perhaps some of the Absolutely. tension can even come from the terms itself. So we've got two terms, right? We've got natural and we've got supernatural. Yeah. So supernatural has a way yeah. of like, like Superman automatically pops into my mind and that could be a little bit problematic. <laughs> so can you help kind of clear up some of uh, maybe the murkiness there with those terms? What are we talking about when we mean, when we say things like natural and supernatural? Sure. Well, I'll do my best. It's, it's kind of a big philosophical debate on what those terms actually mean and mm. whether or not a miracle would be a part of God's created order. He's just created the order in such a way that he is actually sustaining everything. And so it's mm -hmm. no different when he does a miracle than when he makes the sun rise. Uh, some people would say, no, he's created this order that's self-sustaining, but then sometimes he chooses to do supernatural things and come into it. But I think, I think that it's less important to, to, to look at that and more important to say, okay, if this is a closed system, mm -hmm. if there is no God, if there is no supernatural at all, then yes, that makes sense that there's a closed system. There's nothing that can come in and, and interact with it. But if it's an open system, right. if God has created these things and he is outside of the, the, the created order, there's no reason that he couldn't step in and do things. Now, I, I think we need to be gracious and understanding that, uh, you know, the, the idea of supernatural, I, I get that, that that brings up a lot of superheroes, a lot of those kinds of things yeah. in our minds. And I think we need to, to be understanding of that hesitation. I think especially when you look at some of the, the biblical stories and the ways that they're told, sometimes they sound like fairy tales, you know, Jonah and the whale, those, those kinds of things. But I think we need to, to separate that from uh, the, the fact that, you know, these things might sound fa fantastic, 
but they could also be true. Uh, and C.S. Lewis recognized that, right? He yeah. talked about yeah. how Christianity is the true myth. Mm-hmm. And yes, it has these mythological elements to it, but what if these things were actually true? And just because they sound amazing doesn't mean that they're not true. Mm. Now, that's a great point, which gets us into you know, just describing what a miracle is. So for those who may be uh, not familiar with this, what are some characteristics, some defining characteristics of a miracle? Because especially, you know, as a mom, I find it miraculous if I can get my kids out the door and they have pants on. So (laughs) let's, uh, let's, let's describe uh, for everyone here. What, what are some characteristics of a miracle? Sure. Well, I think there's a a really good definition given by Professor uh, Richard L. Pertel, uh, and I wrote it down. It says, uh, a miracle is an event brought about by the power of God that is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature for the purpose of showing that God has acted in history. Mm. And so you see, you see like five different characteristics in there. Um, and I, I think essentially the, the idea of this temporary exception to the way that, that, that things are normally operating, God is causing these things. And I love the way that the Bible often describes miracles as a sign, right? Yeah. And what, what do signs do? Well, they point to something and they point to God. And so I, I think miracles are signs that point to God. And I think that's a good way of of thinking about it. Um, And I I think it's helpful to to kind of remember, too, that it's a temporary exception. It's not something that we can put in a test tube and Mm -hmm. uh, scientifically prove over and over again. It's not not a repeatable thing in in the way that science measures. It's something that happens once. It's much more like history in that sense. Yeah, I love how that definition also points to the purpose of it. Every miracle has a, an intended purpose to bring about glory to God. And sometimes when yeah. you hear skeptics who are wanting more miracles, okay, wait a second, look at the nature of them in themselves. They're meant for a specific purpose, for a specific time to give glory. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's just an important characteristic that uh, me personally, I'd, I think is is great one to be reminded of because sometimes we just want things to happen and no, 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 there, there is order, there is purpose there. Yeah, there's a reason for those miracles. Absolutely. 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 So even when you look in within the church, you know, you'll have believers next to you. And I've, I've met other Christians before who, who they love Christ. They love God. Everything's going great, but they struggle accepting miracle accounts within scripture. So just offhand, do you, can you offer some evidence for miracles that maybe if we have a listener who maybe has a, a friend or a coworker that that's where they're struggling. That's where their kind of their stumbling block is. Can you give them maybe some evidence for some miracles that they could offer? Absolutely. Yeah. I I love talking about the evidence for miracles because a lot of people just aren't aware that there's, there's a lot of evidence for miracles and it's, it's fascinating. So um, just to start off, there's statistics that show uh, surveys of people that have experienced miracles. So there was a 2016 Barna survey of a thousand Americans and they were asked the question, have you had an experience that can only be explained as a miracle of God? Mm. And nearly two out of every five people said that they had. And if you take those numbers and you you extrapolate them to the country, that's over 94 million Americans that have had something that they they can only be described as a miracle of God. Mm. And that's I mean that's an unbelievable number. Now, yeah. If you're a skeptic, you have to say that every single one of those people is either lying or mistaken. Mm. And I I think that that would take a pretty big leap of faith to believe something like that. 
I think the evidence shows that that miracles happen. And even one miracle, even one out of those 94 million miracles, even if one of those is genuine, it shows that miracles can and do happen. So I think that just from a statistical perspective, I think there's great evidence for miracles from people's experience. But also when you when you look at some of the documented cases, there are incredible documented cases. Uh, let me just tell one short story of, of oh, a man. Absolutely. Named, uh, yeah, a man named Bruce Van Netta in uh, 2006. Um, he had this horrific experience where he was crushed under a semi-trailer and uh, miraculously he survived that, which was already uh, amazing enough, but he had a big problem from that, which is that the accident destroyed most of his small intestine. Mm -hmm. And so he was, he was slowly starving to death because his body couldn't digest food. So he dropped from 180 pounds down to 125 pounds and he was Goodness. you know, clearly dying from that. So what happened then is a man he had met once uh, felt like God was leading him to fly from New York uh, to Wisconsin just to pray for him. And so when his friend came and prayed for him, he described that there was this electric jolt that went through his body and uh, he was instantaneously healed of this. His, his medical report showed that his small intestine more than doubled in length. And this is, this is all medically documented. There's, yeah. there's the scans and all of that. And it's, it's fascinating just to see the, the timing of that. It's not, just, it's not just that he recovered. It's not just that his, his small intestine grew, which, by the way, small intestines apparently can only grow uh, uh, width-wise, not lengthwise. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just that. It's yeah. the fact that it, it was when his friend prayed in the name of Jesus mm. for him to be healed he, instantaneously was healed. And that's just, that's just one of many, many documented cases uh, of miracles that are fascinating. Yeah, no, it, and it, it really is because so many of those miracle cases take place within the medical field. I mean, you're, you're having neuroscientists witnessing this. I've read cases, I haven't read that one. That one's fascinating, especially to know that, that the intestines mm -hmm. can't grow lengthwise. They can only grow widthwise. I mean, how, yeah. what, what natural explanation can, can be offered reasonably. But it's just, it's neat to see how often that does take place within the medical field where you have folks, these are, these are documented and they're like, I have no explanation for this whatsoever. It, it, is, uh, it is kind of a fun rabbit hole to sort of dive down is to look in some of the evidence for these miracles. So that's, uh, that's really, really Absolutely. interesting. So with well, these, there, there's a whole uh, two volume. Oh yeah, just let me just say there's yeah, two volume uh, work by Craig Keener, who's a scholar, um, and he he has collected all of these medically documented cases. And so if you yeah. if you really want to deep dive, you want to read the big the big uh, <laughs> copies of Craig Keener's book. Um, that's a great source for for a lot of those stories. Oh, fantastic. So with this being said, what are some of the biggest skeptical challenges to miracles uh, that you've seen, uh, whether they be in your, in conversation that you've had with other folks or just in your research, yeah. what are some of the big ones that you come across? Yeah, I wanted to, when I started researching this and thinking about this, I wanted to take the challenges seriously because I, I think, again, it's for somebody who hasn't experienced it, um, or especially as a skeptic, there, there are real arguments that they're giving against yeah. miracles. And so when I listened to atheistic scholars and, and people like that, they kept pointing back again and again to David Hume, uh, mm. the classic British philosopher. And, um, and so I said, all right, I'm going to go straight to the source. I'm going to look at, look at him and read his work. So I read his classic work of miracles, uh, where he says he will disprove miracles for all uh, civilized people. And <laughs> civilized. Um, I was 
Yeah, I was pretty shocked, honestly, how uh, unimpressive uh, his arguments were and uh, particularly how much they, they just relied on circular reasoning. Mm. Um, and his biggest, his biggest argument, his biggest point was, is that essentially this, he defines a miracle as something that violates the laws of nature. And then he says the laws of nature cannot be broken because no one has ever experienced a miracle. And there, therefore he says miracles are disproven. Mm. But did you catch that? He, he puts the conclusion that no one experiences miracles in the premise that the, the laws of nature can't be broken because no one's experienced a miracle. So he's, he's putting his conclusion right in the premise right there. He's just assuming that no one can experience a miracle and no one ever has experienced a miracle. And so, um, you know, I think, I, I think that most of his arguments relied on this kind of circular reasoning. He says that miracles are the most improbable explanation because no one ever experiences a miracle. Well, again, if you, if you assume that no one ever experiences a miracle, if you assume that all the miracle tales are, are false, well then, yeah, maybe you can say that they're the least probable, but you have to assume that miracles are impossible in yeah. the first place to do that. So um, yeah, it was, it was interesting just to see, I, I think most arguments that I've seen against miracles rely on that kind of circular reasoning to say, um, well, maybe somebody lied over here, therefore everybody else must be lying. Well, that's not, that's not a good argument. Yeah. So no, and, and I, with, I was pretty unimpressed with the arguments. No, well, and what's great about your, your response there is parents, this is just a great tactic to have with your kids, especially as they're getting into the middle school and high school ages, is don't just engage with Christian sources, engage with alternative sources. Well, engage with the opposition, because this is the side they're going to be hearing, especially as they're going into college or their friends, or there's some really popular atheist YouTubers out there that are in the, the Gen Z generation. So they're, they're very engaging and, and charismatic and everything. And they make some really interesting cases, but it's important important to be able to look at both those sources. And as you said, Matthew, is when you were looking into there, you're like, oh, this really isn't that impressive. We've got some circular things going on here. We've got some question begging going on. So it's important to look at both of those when you're doing your investigations. So I just, I I really appreciate that. So so one thing, yeah. um, <laughs> Great. so one thing that that I think a lot of people uh, are are sort of wondering about, and they don't quite know how to how to respond to are examples of supernatural events uh, in other religions. I mean, are all uh, supernatural events from God? Does that validate other religions? I mean, especially now when we're in this postmodern world where relativism is starting to sort of, well, it's not starting, it's, it's pretty uh, popular, especially among younger, younger generations. Um, we have to sort of come in and, and be able to say either yes or no, this, yeah. this is case, everything's from God or not. How would you respond to that question? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that, um, you know, I think a a lot of people have thought about, but I I think it's first just great to acknowledge that the Bible acknowledges this. You read through scripture and it acknowledges that the the magicians in Egypt were able to do these signs. And it talks about uh, Simon the magician in in the uh, book of Acts. And so there are other spiritual forces in the universe that have real power and can do real things. And so Christianity does not close is not closed to that possibility. Um, I think at the same time, it's it's also worth acknowledging that God sometimes does work outside of the bounds of of just Christians to do mm. miracles. Um, I, I think a, a great example is uh, Nabil Qureshi, uh, who wrote the book Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. 
he talks in that book about how when he was a, a small child growing up in this Muslim family, uh, he went to this Muslim festival and he lost his parents at the festival and he was lost. Mm-hmm. And so he prayed to Allah that uh, he would be able to find his parents. And he saw this trail of light in the sky that, that led him straight back to his parents. And um, that, that's pretty fascinating that he, he prayed to Allah that, that he would have this miracle and he, he got the miracle that he asked for. Um, and yet I think what God was doing there was, was showing Nabil that he was real. And later on, Nabil became a Christian. Later on, Nabil realized it wasn't Allah that did that for him. It was Jesus. Hmm. And so I think sometimes God does these miracles in other worldviews to lead people towards Christ. Um, and that being said, I think the, by, by far and away, the best documented evidence that we have for miracles come within the realm of Christianity. Again, that, that Craig Keener uh, series. Um, so I think, I, I think we shouldn't be afraid of the idea that there are, are supernatural events in other world religions. Yeah, and that's such a great point. And I love how you mentioned Simon, because I, I think that provides, when you look into the story of Simon the Sorcerer, it provides sort of a key in there. Simon was able to do uh, fantastical things, it says, that he had all sorts of people from whether they were just um, you know, commoners to the wealthy kings and things, they were completely amazed by him. But Simon was not giving glory to God in the process. It was all him focused. And I think that's one of those amazing characteristics within miracles too, is they will always point to and give glory to God, whereas Simon was doing his work and it was it was all for him. So, yep. Yep. and when he saw the real thing, he wanted it. He, yes, he was not yes. satisfied with his own power. <laughs> yeah, he was completely floored by it. And what you know, what's interesting too, as you mentioned that, is thinking about that story. Is he wanted it, and he he was able to witness it firsthand. But then, as you read later on in the story, he also rejects Christianity at the time because remember he said, "Oh, you pray for me." You know, um, he he asked for that. Mm-hmm. He he didn't actually accept it. So I think it's really interesting when you look at that case. Because you'll hear a lot of skeptics say, well, if I just had one appear before me, I'd believe it. And here you have an instance mm. of a man who saw it, who recognized the power and authority of it, but he still didn't want to have anything to do with it. I think it's kind of interesting how we still have mm. enough free will in that case um, to even have overwhelming evidence like what he did that would meet all the standards that a lot of skeptics give, but yet he still rejected it. Yeah. And I think that's a, a good point for, you know, if you are not a Christian and you're listening to this podcast or you're watching mm-hmm. this video, uh, you need to ask yourself, what would it take for me to believe in God? What kind of evidence could God provide to me? Would I, would I write, no matter what he gives me, would I write it off mm-hmm. as uh, you know, a hallucination or something like that? Or am I open enough to say that if God provided a miracle for me, or, or maybe even if he provided good evidence, yeah. would that be enough for me to believe? Am I really willing to follow the evidence where it leads? Oh, and it's such a great point. And I've, I've read other skeptics, uh, their accounts too. I believe it was Bart Ehrman to where he even mentioned in some of his books that he has had no kidding experiences, but he actually had to talk himself out of mm-hmm. believing in them. And I thought that was just really interesting to read that, that he was like, I'd have these things, but then he would just sort of reason him out, reason himself out of it again, because of mm-hmm. those presuppositions of saying, Nope, I cannot believe. So it's, it is, it's, again, it's an encouragement yeah. to when we're looking at these that we have to be willing to consider and be open to the evidence. Yeah, this, this last question, is, is, it ties directly into the problem of evil. And this is, this is a tough one. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. all of us have been in this situation before. But, you know, what, what happens when, when we are praying fervently for a miracle 
and it doesn't happen. Whether it's someone who is ill or um, there is a, a brokenness within the family and we're just pouring our heart out to God and it, and it doesn't happen. What, what encouragement is there in that? This is a hard, a hard question. And it's, it's something that I've, I've wrestled with myself. Um, yeah. You know, I mentioned the Beal uh, Qureshi. Um, he was a, a personal friend of mine. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, when he had his cancer diagnosis for a year, um, I don't think I've, I've ever prayed harder for anything yeah. in my life than for him to be healed um, and for, for a miracle there. And um, you know, God just didn't give it and, and Nabil passed away and, so I had to wrestle with that question of why, why God, you know, if anyone deserved a miracle, it would be him. If, if anyone, you know, could, could have proclaimed the gospel, uh, you know, with this miracle, it would be, it would be Nabil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think there's, there's some important things to recognize there. Number one, that, you know, God is not a genie. Um, yeah. We can't, uh, we can't have enough faith to force God's hand and to, to force him to do a miracle. Um, whether or not he does a miracle is up to him and, and it's in his wisdom and in his understanding that he chooses to do that. Um, and I think, I think that that expectation uh, is really important that, yeah. that we're not setting ourselves up with a bad expectation that, you know, if we just believe hard enough, if we just faith hard enough yeah. that we can cause a miracle to happen. Um, and I, I just don't think there's that promise in scripture. I think, um, we see people sometimes not being healed. Um, yeah. Sometimes um, we need to trust that God has a better plan. I think Mary and Martha probably felt that way when Lazarus died. Mm. Um, they thought, you know, Jesus, if you were here, you could have stopped this. Yeah. You could have done something. Uh, and yet Jesus had a better plan that they didn't realize that Lazarus is going to be resurrected. And in the same case of Nabil and in, in the, these other cases, God has a better plan. Um, and sometimes we, we can't see that ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's such an important encouragement to offer because uh, my husband had shared with me at one point that when he was a kid, there was kind of these different sort of movements that would go through the church in the in the late 90s, early 2000s. And one of them was kind of this whole bodyguard God assumption to where as long as you were, as long as you were faithful, as long as you did what you were supposed to, God was going to take care of you. Nothing's going to happen to you. You know, you can pray and it's going to happen. And it, it caught on like wildfire and it sounds great, right? Here we have this all-powerful God, and why wouldn't he want to do these things? And then there was a, a tragedy with some friends of his, and he his faith was shaken for years because, again, he had sort of bought into this false view of God, that this genie God, like you would put it, um, and, 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 and it wrecked him. So I think especially when we talk to kids is we need to also be very honest too about how, you know, we are submitting to, to God's will. It's his will be done, not our will be done. No matter how much uh, noble reasons we can have, justification we can have, you know, ultimately it's up to him. And even if the answer is no, that there's still work that can be done through that. And it's, yeah, yeah I think it's just an important thing, especially for kiddos to hear. Yeah. I mean, look at the, the early martyrs in the church. Look at yeah. Stephen in the book of Acts, right? He, he was trusting the Lord. He was being used by the Lord and yet uh, he died. And mm-hmm. so I, I don't, I, yeah, I just don't think there's, I think there's scriptural evidence to show that we don't always get what we want. We don't always right. get the miracles that we want. Um, and, uh, and I think especially for kids, there's so many stories, right? Of, of kids who they prayed for their grandma to be healed, but, but God didn't do it. And therefore yeah. they, you know, they got angry at God and they, um, you know, disbelieved in him. And it's, you know, I think it's just so important to set the right expectations for kids and not, not give them a false, a false hope there that, that God will necessarily 
yes. do um, what they ask. Um, that doesn't mean we don't ask. We should right. ask, uh, but, uh, but to do so with the right perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that launches us perfectly into this, this last question here is, uh, of course, you, you know, you don't have kiddos of, of your own and everything, but you've worked with youth and, and that sort. <laughs> so what are some practical ways that, and tactics that you've found really helpful in communicating uh, the subject of miracles, the evidence for miracles, maybe some, some engagement techniques, because, you know, goodness knows, you know, lunchroom conversations can get pretty heated sometimes. So mm. what, are some, what are some tips that you can offer? Yeah, I mean, this is, again, this is your area of expertise, but uh, I, I can think of a couple things. Uh, I, I think that image of a sign is helpful mm-hmm. for, for especially smaller children to, to just think about what a miracle is and why why God does miracles. Um, you know, you read at the end of the, the Gospel of John, and it's, he says, you know, these things are written that you may believe. And so mm-hmm. he's, he's writing these things as a sign pointing to Jesus. So to think about it that way, um, I think to to be clear that you know when we're reading scripture, um, this is not a fairy story. This is yeah. not a uh, you know something that is just a, a novel. This is history. These are real things that actually happened. And to to help our kids just to think about it that way uh, as a history book, less than a, a novel, um, and to understand that God is is actually really happening. And and just looking at the ways that that people responded to to Jesus and the ways that that he uh, did miracles, the people around him didn't go, oh well, he you know he's just tricking people. People or uh, or oh that's a nice story. No, mm. the the people that that were believing in him, you know, saw the miracles and they were amazed at it. The enemies of Jesus didn't go. He he's not actually doing them. They, they go. They went. Oh, he's doing them in the wrong way on the wrong day. He's doing them on the Sabbath, and so they tried mm. to catch him on technicality. But even the enemies of Jesus didn't deny that he was actually literally doing these miracles. And so um, I think just to help kids to see that these things are, are real, they're not just stories, is, is really important. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Now, I, okay, so this is probably going to be like asking you like what your favorite TV show is, but what are some great, <laughs> what are some great sources that you have just dove into that you just love uh, to speak on this topic? Because we're going to have parents and we're going to have teens that uh, of these parents that are going to be, you know, wanting to gather some more information. So what are some of your favorite sources? And I know you mentioned a couple of these, but just for a great sort of little recap here, what, what are some of your favorites? Yeah, definitely the best book that you could read on miracles is The Case for Miracles by Lee Strobel. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic resource. Um, he gives the full first, I think it's three chapters to, uh, I, think, I believe it's Michael Shermer, who's uh, a very well-known atheist. Uh, I think he's the president of uh, Skeptic Magazine. And um, he gives the first three chapters of him just to give his best arguments against miracles. And then the rest of the book he gives to uh, looking at some of the data, looking at some of the statistics, looking at some of these big questions, uh, and some of the stories, incredibly powerful stories in that book of miracles and how, how God is working even today in, in incredible ways. So I would, I would say, I don't, I don't need to give any other recommendations other than that book. Uh, that, that book is, is fantastic. And I believe there's also a DVD. There's a, a video that he does as well. So if you've got, um, I, my, I've got an 11 year old and so he is all about videos and things. So that's another great one that you can point to mamas and papas out there. Uh, there's a great DVD and we'll um, include all of this great information within the, the comment section of this post. So that way you can just have access to all these great things and 
Matthew, before I let you go, which I don't want to because you're awesome, um, what, uh, what are some <laughs> final encouragements that maybe you can offer to folks um, just as a, a last little closeout when dealing with these miracles? Yeah. Well, I just hope that as you, as you've listened to this, as you've thought about this, that your, your faith is strengthened, that you realize that, you know, the miracles are not just things that are described in the Bible. They're, they're things that happen today. And, you know, as much as we need to have the right expectation that, that miracles are not guaranteed, I hope your faith is built to actually ask God for miracles, to actually expect that, that these things are possible to not, um, because I think, I think one of the reasons that we don't see as many miracles in the West as people do in the East is that we don't ask for them. Um, mm. You know, God says you, you have not because you ask not. And so I, I think we need to be, be ready to ask and be ready to, to expect that these things are possible with, of course, the right perspective and uh, to remember that, that God is doing incredible things today. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Matthew. Now, just for folks who maybe want to gather more information, follow along with your ministry, what are some ways that people can, can be able to, you know, keep up with you in all the social media realm? Sure. Yeah. Uh, my website is uh, matthewmitt.com. Um, and uh, I'm on Twitter uh, as well. I think it's uh, at Matthew V. Mitt. All right, folks, give him a follow. It's it's so worth it. Check out Summit Ministries that we spoke about earlier, especially if you've got kids in the middle school, high school range. There's, uh, I know there's going to be more video resources through there to where even if you just want to watch them, they're, they're super accessible for everyone. So definitely take advantage of these great ministries that are out there. If you have enjoyed this video, I'm so excited to get to say this because my kids are all pumped about this sort of thing. Like and subscribe, folks, uh, down below. Mm. And keep abreast with Mama Bear Apologetics. We're here to minister to serve. And if you have enjoyed this video, stay tuned. We have got another, uh, another one coming out shortly dealing with how to explain tolerance to kids. Worldly tolerance versus the biblical definition of tolerance with Monique Dustin. With, um, and so it's, it's just going to be an awesome video. We're so excited to have that out. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. And we, we'll see you next time, Mama and Papa Bears. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, mama bears. We are all in this together.